Welcome to another edition of the Litigation Psychology Podcast. I'm Dr. Bill Kanaski. Litigation Psychology Podcast brought to you by Courtroom Sciences. Um, a great guest today, a good friend uh, from the Bassett firm, uh, uh, Aaron Rowland. Aaron, how are you doing today? Doing well, Bill. Doing well. How are you? Yeah, well, I have to start on my rant because you just you just heard it before <laughs> before we went live here. Um, yeah, losing the man cave uh, to my 21 year old son who has now moved back home. Now I'm in my master bedroom and I'm trying to do things. And you know, my wife comes in with a bunch of laundry and she starts folding laundry. I'm like, you got to get out of here. She's like, I got to do laundry. I'm like, no, you got to get out of here. And then my dog's barking. So I had, I had to kick, I had to kick the wifey out. I had to kick the dog out for 30 minutes. And I got, you know, it's just the way it is. And, and Kanaskiville over here, Aaron. Well, I don't, I don't envy being you in about an hour and a half when you have to go in there and face her. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, well, that's, well, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's a battle. I am, I am not going to win. Listen, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Um, Mike Bassett has been on the podcast several times. I've been on his a few times. Uh, and it's great to have you because we, we work so much with your firm. And uh, the Bassett firm is one of my favorite firms in the country because of the way you guys do things. Um, and, and you have just exceptional um, attorneys. Um, you know, Mike himself, not a very good looking guy, but very hardworking and smart. I think we could all uh, agree on that. But uh, we we I really like to have um, younger up and coming attorneys uh, on this podcast, and um, that's really important to me uh, because you know the world's changing and things are changing, and uh, the way uh, you know younger attorneys are coming up through the current system is very different from then you know when when Mike was your age, right? Uh, does he ever do that to you? Like you know, back in my day, does he give you those speeches in the office? Yeah, usually starts off talking about how he had a typewriter back in his day and he had uh, leaflets and how they had to run papers down to the courthouse on foot. Up yeah, he's really place. old. He's really old. <laughs> but I'm right yeah. behind him is my problem. But I'm not quite there yet. So I'm going to I'm going to take uh, advantage of it. Aaron, tell our audience. Um, and I like to ask this of, of most of my guests. So at some point in your life, you decided, hey, I'm going to be a trial attorney. Um, when did that happen? Why did it happen? And were there, maybe there's some other things you were thinking about that you were almost there and said, no, I'm going to go towards law. So the decision to do law came before the decision to be a trial attorney. Okay. Uh, so I went to small private school, Dakota Wesleyan for undergrad, played football. And um, while I was there, I just... The short version is I fell into a few events where I had to speak in front of people. I had to argue certain things. I had to do certain things. And I, I, I thought, well, you know, maybe, maybe law is a decent route. And so, again, it's a longer story, but I stumbled into that and, and chose different law schools and kind of got accepted where I wanted to go, SMU. And that was mainly a location deal. Uh, but while I was at SMU, we had a legal writing class. I uh, cannot remember my professor's name. She would be upset with me for that. Uh, but we had to do every law student has to do like a memo and then a brief, depending on the semester. And in my brief, persuasive brief, it was on some I don't know random criminal issue. And the topic was hearsay, uh, or at least that was part of it. And uh, I made some kind of joke in my brief. Uh, and I, I referred to people <laughs> gossiping and it was the biddies in the in the in the barber shop, you know, or the, the biddies in the beauty shop. 
Yeah. And uh, there was more to it than that. But just so happened, a random paper gets pulled out to be read for the class. And it was mine. And that's the line she read. And she stopped the whole thing. And she was like, okay, so this would not be something you would write for a court. But she busted out laughing and said, this is absolutely something you may say at the appropriate moment. So she didn't say my name, but she said, whoever wrote this, <laughs> you should definitely be a trial lawyer because oh, wow. some of the zingers you've got, you know. And so I, I laughed about that. And uh, and then getting on with Mike, uh, going to trial with Mike um, and Michael and those guys, uh, and that kind of solidified it. So that's tremendous. OK, let's let's talk a little bit again. Totally off script. We have not rehearsed. Let's talk a little bit. Now, how old are you, Aaron? Uh, Thirty two. Okay, Aaron, yes, okay. I am so much older than you, right? So in my head, I'm going to tell you this story, okay? Let's talk about SMU football, okay? The most famous alum from SMU was uh, Eric Dickerson, okay? Eric Dickerson, Hall of Fame running back. Very unique for a running back. He was like six foot one. He, he was a tall running back. You don't really see that. Very tall and was like a freight train and would run you over. Okay, SMU. Back in the day, because I grew up in the 80s, right? Okay, they got what's called the NCAA death penalty. I think they're maybe the only school that's ever gotten it, right? Here's the and it's for paying players, the legal benefits, right? This whole thing that stuff. They have a 30 of 30 on 30, right? On ESPN. Uh, you have to watch this about SMU. Here's the irony: it's 2000. That was 35 <laughs> years ago. Every single thing that's being done right now today, particularly with NIL. It's the same thing and completely legal, completely legal. I think SMU got screwed. Yep, I agree. So I, I don't know the detailed history of it, but I did watch the 30 for 30. And yeah. uh, that's exactly what's happening. In fact, I was at the gym uh, earlier this morning. I was uh, talking to a, to a guy and we were talking about our kids playing sports. And I said, uh, you know, I'm not too worried about sports. I was like, frankly, unless he's just, you know, my kid's a, a genius at something. He's never going to make a lot of money on it. And I said, well. I take that back. If he goes D1, I suppose he'll get a nice payday for a little bit, you yeah. know, maybe a new car. <laughs> yeah, maybe a, maybe a new car. Um, how many kids do you have? I have three. How, oh, you, what's wrong? You people that have three children, are you out of your mind? I know a couple of folks that have four kids. I had two. I had two, and it was like, right, my wife sent me right to the urologist and said, yep, that's <laughs> enough for you. And I was like, really? Yep. Mm -hmm. So I took care of that after two. Like, why in the world would you do that to yourself and your mental health? I don't know how you, how you handle it. How do you not just lose your mind? Cause two, you lose your mind with two, three or four. I mean, how do you do it? Well, I mean, uh, it's simple. You, uh, you just lose your mind and get used to doing it. Okay. That's what I figured. That's what <laughs> I, I figured. A, uh, a friend of mine who's now a judge, he was, he has like four or five kids. And he told me, he oh said, gosh. I was, I was about to have my third. And he said, you know, here, here's the best uh, analogy I heard. He said, having three kids is like having two children and drowning and trying to save them. And then someone throws you a third kid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And particularly with their ages close together. Wow. Well, um, you're about, you're, you're a better man than, than I, and now mine are getting older. So I'm dealing with different problems. I can certainly help you. All I'm going to say, Aaron, it, it just gets worse from here. That's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say. When they start asking for car keys and your credit card, it's, yeah. Oh, and any, anyway, um, well, I know that you've been very uh, successful uh, at the Bassett Firm. 
And can you talk to our audience? Because we, by the way, we have a lot of younger attorneys that listen to this podcast because they're podcast people. Um, the benefits, because something like pe- the attorneys in your generation, okay, you guys are like the redheaded stepchildren of, of, of attorneys and, and you get bashed constantly. And it's not just in the legal, it's just your generation as a whole, but bashed constantly, particularly in the legal industry from bouncing around from firm to firm, the firm for the better deal. When you have not done that, you've stayed with the best firm. Can you tell me about the benefits of staying in one place, growing in one place. And well, yeah, you could probably bounce around and make a few more bucks here and there, but the stability of being at the Bassett firm, what that's done for you in your career. So I think number one, it has definitely given me a much deeper, uh, better relationship with the folks I work with. Uh, you know, Mike Bassett, Michael Nordsey, um, Bob McGee, a bunch of those guys that are there. And instead of really what it seems like to me now, and I wouldn't have known this two years in, but at two years, you're just really getting warmed up at the place you're at. Yeah. You know, Um, and I I can't imagine trying to start now and basically knowing everybody over Zoom. But but even in person at two years, you are just kind of catching your stride. And and so what I've been lucky enough to to have the opportunity to do is to get to know uh, and really have a deep trust with the folks I work with, uh, and then that has led to all types of opportunities, introductions to lots of people, the ability to do a lot more things um, other than just hold a partner's briefcase. You know, yeah. now <laughs> luckily, Michael and them have never been like that from the get go. It's been hey, you know, you're you're running depots as soon as they felt like I was ready. Uh, and I just did everything. But, but you know, at a lot of places, you go somewhere and you basically do paperwork, so to speak. Yeah. Um, you don't get to do the real fun, real lawyer stuff. Uh, you don't get the face-to-face time with a lot of those clients. Um, you, you don't get that interaction, that experience. And, and it sounds silly to say just talking to clients is, is experience, but it's unbelievable experience. Uh, getting to understand what people need, what they actually need from you versus what your image of it was. And man, in two years, you, you just don't have enough time to develop that. And I I don't know that if you're somewhere that's not good, it's unhealthy because there are a lot of bad firms out there, um, a lot of bad jobs period, but you know, it's okay to bounce from there. But you know, now being in a role where I interview folks and stuff, uh, you see it two years, year and a half, two years, year and a half, going back 10 years. And you think like, man, what is going on? And it's everybody. It's, it's pretty wild how often that happens, but it's yeah. definitely be a, been a huge benefit to me. That's, that's outstanding. It sounds like you have great mentorship too. And you've, and you've grown within the firm and I know you've taken a recent big, big leap. Um, and that's, uh, and, and, you know, I think as you develop and it happened with me and, when you start coming up through the ranks and you get to this, this level, and then maybe you have some management responsibilities, things like that, uh, kind of opens up a whole new can of worms, right? Absolutely. A, a surprising can of worms. I mean, you, you assume, uh, oh, management does business in the back. You know, they, they, yeah. they have to run the show. They have to be responsible for this and that. But there were a number of surprising things. I mean, I've only been in the, the role now for a couple of months, but just right off the bat, getting... Um, keyed in on, on a lot of those conversations that go on, the amount of communication, the sheer number of decisions that have to be made that 
I mean, don't immediately make the firm money, you know, because uh, I mean, it is a business, but yeah. you're just always having to make decisions. And it's just, hey, this is going on. What are we going to do on this? What do you think yeah. here? Hey, we've got this vendor doing this. I mean, yeah, there, there is there billable hours on their own are a lot. And then you have mm -hmm. the management stuff on top of it. So I have a new respect for the yeah. guys that have been doing it the entire time I've been here. Yeah. What, what do you think? Um, again, this is kind of a question from left field, but I think it's important because I, I, because one thing I've made very clear in this podcast and all my papers, all my speeches, um, the plaintiff's bar has got their shit together. They have got their shit together. What can defense attorneys do better? particularly you as a, as a younger attorney, because you've, you've kind of seen both sides. you got people under you now that are younger than you, and then you got some veterans ahead of you. So you're kind of in the middle here. You see both sides of this. What can, what can defense attorneys do, do better, not just strategically on their cases, but just also better just logistically? I mean, frankly, I think it starts with remembering that you're on the same team, um, and, and it is a team thing. Uh, we yeah. get caught up in this idea that, you know, this is my business, or, or at least that's kind of what I see. Um, you ask for help or, hey, do you have anything on this guy? Has anybody ever encountered this expert? And then uh, you'll get a handful of people. Uh, I think it's gotten better over the past couple of years. It seems like it's really ramped up. But there are plenty of lawsuits out there. There, there, are, there are plenty. It's not scarce. Work isn't scarce. Um, there, there's never going to be a shortage of work. Uh, regardless of what technology does to industry or whatever, there is going to be work. Yep. Um, the key is doing it really well. And I'm kind of of the mindset, and it's probably just because the people I work with, if you help other folks and they do a really good job with your help, uh, it'll come back around. The industry will do better. We will do better as a whole. You will get help in return. Um, and so I don't know if it's, I'm not sure why it is that, that there's not enough communication. And that's, I guess, the key to the question you're asking is, yeah. what can you do better? Communicate, you know, yeah. share information. I mean, every one of these experts you run into, they've been deposed, you know, two, three, 400 times. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. you should have just about every one of those depositions, but it's hard to get every one of them because everyone's not sharing. And I just assume, and then from conversations I have, most plaintiff's counsel or they know every single depot that, you know, your expert has yeah. ever taken. So. Um, tell me about how you value witness preparation. Uh, cause I, I mean, again, I I'm constantly talking about this because I think so many of these cases are, are one and lost in discovery. And if you get outmaneuvered, I mean, it's so hard to come back. And then the, the, the economic cost to settle that case dramatically increases. And then oftentimes it doesn't sell then you're in trial and, and, and you've gotten, your ass handed to you in, uh, you know, for example, videotape depositions. Um, talk to me about how uh, your viewpoint towards towards witness prep. And again, I'm not asking you to sing my praises per se, but we have worked <laughs> together about maybe the value uh, of having somebody like me uh, assist you on some of those uh, tougher matters uh, to help you get to the next level and help you uh, defend your client to the fullest. So. I recommend having someone like you assist on any matter that is what I consider a bigger matter. And frankly, most 18 wheeler wrecks nowadays. Yeah, they'll do it. Environment. <laughs> yeah, the 18 wheeler wreck, it's a bigger matter, even if it looks small. Yeah. Uh, but it, it starts early 
uh, which sounds easy. You can say, well, you just got to start early. You got to prep often. Uh, and, and when we say prep, I, I don't necessarily mean, all right, we are going to prepare for your depot. I mean, it seems like the best cases we have are the ones where you set the time aside, which is tough. You set the time aside and you just get to know your client. Yeah. You know, where are you from? You know, what's going on? Tell me how you got this business going. And you just get that out there and you build that trust uh, and, and you get them comfortable. And once they're comfortable with you, then they're going to tell you what they're worried about. Then they're going to talk to you and then they're going to trust you when they're doing preparation and you're grilling them. Yeah. And instead of disliking you, you know, they're <laughs> going to listen to you. Yeah. And uh, uh, it's it's unbelievably important. And whether it's deposition preparation uh, or it's just discovery generally early and often um, on top of it, push instead of uh, be on offense, essentially, is, is the yeah. best way to do it. Uh, and sometimes it's hard because there's a lot of work out there. Uh, but that's that's important is to, to stay on offense and to stay early and often. Yeah. And that's very important. Go on offense rather than always, you know, being on, 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 on your heels. Um, I've always said, and, and the, again, this is not a popular topic at defense council meetings or, <laughs> or some of the speeches I give, but um, I'm a, I'm a big fan of being pretty uh, radically honest with my audiences um, based on my perceptions. Um, I think it's a big difference between a litigator and a trial attorney. I think it's a yes. big difference between a litigator and a trial attorney. And I know everybody calls themselves trial attorneys. That is not the case. And I am 100% correct on this. Just nobody wants to talk about it. And you and I have talked before uh, about the importance of being able to be in front of a jury and being able to tell a story being able to be charismatic, being able to use your personality and connect uh, with a jury. And quite frankly, a lot of attorneys aren't very good at that. They just aren't. I've seen brilliant attorneys in front of juries. I've seen very, very smart, dedicated attorneys in front of juries that did not do well because they lacked that type of storytelling ability. They were not able to connect with the jury. Uh, how do you go... Uh, about that, particularly um, now that you've got some experience under your belt, you've gotten a lot of mentorship uh, uh, from your from your uh, colleagues there at the Bassett firm, and how important that is to you as you strive to be more of a trial attorney rather than just a litigator. So I think the only real way to go about it, just at a basic level, is is to do it. Yeah. Um, so, and unfortunately, it seems like it's harder and harder now to to get the trial experience unless you're in the yeah. right firm that's doing a lot of that, uh, you know, basic car wreck case work um, because you know doing that you get to try cases all the time because the risk is low. But in most of the work we do, the risk is obviously very high. Um, and so, you know, I hear the stories, you know, from Michael or Mike or, or any yeah. attorney that I'm talking to that's been around a while. You know, they'll say, "Oh, we used to try this many cases a year, and now we try." you know and so i think getting that experience is harder but since that getting that experience is harder uh, one thing i've been lucky enough to do is just getting in front of people generally um, yep. so giving presentations um Huge. i had a podcast on it a while uh, quite a while back about marketing and and one of the, the the points you made was you know write a paper and then use your paper to get a presentation and then yeah. market that presentation get in front of people and that is a great way to practice yeah uh, so when you're making your points 
pay attention. Is the crowd laughing? Are they just staring at you? Are they yeah. falling asleep? And adjust what you're doing. And you have to you have to be willing to not do well in front of a crowd and to just accept it and then later think about it. What did I do wrong? You know, and so I think that's it. You've got to get in front of people. And that's how you get better. And you're going to have to create those opportunities. Um, and with that, that could be through mock trials and focus groups, right? That, that's one way. But even doing it in front of your colleagues or just getting those speaking gigs to your local bar, right? It doesn't have to be a national organization or you're going through DRI or some other uh, group or maybe in the trucking industry, like, like the industry you work in. Because uh, um, So I gave a speech uh, two days ago in Wisconsin. And what I told the audience was, if you do something once or twice a year, you're going to suck at it. Okay. Go, go try golfing twice a year. You're, you're going to suck. Okay. But it, but if you're doing something regularly, that's how you're going to get better. And here's the problem. Like you just said, if 98% of cases are settling and you're not in front of real jurors at the, at the level that it was say 20 years ago, right. <clears throat> when uh, trial attorneys trying cases all the time, um, how do you, you know, retain those skills and grow those skills? And just like you said, you just got to be in front of people and you got to be able to tell a story. And that's something I teach. I give seminars on this. I teach trial attorneys how to, in fact, yes, I have this big case. Let's just say it's on the West coast. Uh, it's going to trial uh, in 30 days. And I'm taking this attorney, and by the way, this is a 20-year veteran attorney. I am taking this person's opening statement and reordering information, restating things to make this person a better storyteller. Because what many trial attorneys don't understand is that stories, most of the time, the best stories aren't told chronologically, right? And you've got to hook your jury. And how you order that in, this is like a, an entirely another, this is a completely separate podcast. And I've written a paper on this, but it's very, very important. It's how you order that information has a huge factor on how the juror brain perceives it. And the way that the trial attorney may think they should tell the story is often the wrong way. And that's because we, again, attorneys have, and, and uh, we're actually coming out with a paper here soon uh, and a podcast, uh, attorneys have confirmation bias just as much as jurors do. It's, we all have the same brains. Tell, tell me the value, particularly at the Bassett firm, right? Where, because I always tell, I go, you have to run your story by people that aren't looking through your lens because they're going to hear it and see things that you can't see and that's going to help you be a better storyteller because what makes you the attorney feel good may very well not work with the jury and that's confirmation bias tell me what you do to kind of check yourself and use your colleagues to say hey will you listen to my opening like i think it's great but you may think it sucks Give me some feedback. Tell me how you got, and you probably do that within, like you all do that. I'm assuming you bounce things off each other to get a different angle on things. Yes. So exactly what you just said, you have to bounce it off other people, but I think you have to, this may seem simple to some folks, but I think yeah. for some folks, it's difficult. You have to be humble and not get your feelings hurt. Yeah. Um, yeah. If, if my approach, uh, if my approach sucks, and it's not going to work. I absolutely want someone to tell me, hey, yeah. this isn't, no, let's let's not do this. Now, I hope they're nice about it, but even if they're not, so what? 
And I've been lucky enough to be around people that I trusted to give me that type of feedback. Another thing I like to do um, is maybe run my opening by my wife, you know, someone who doesn't know anything about anything. It is, all, who, it is always critical, but a thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah you, you just walked me right into that one. That was a softball. <laughs> I just knocked that right. That was deep right center field. Oh, yeah, yeah. of, of course, because my wife will listen to this uh, is never critical and is just the best person ever. So <laughs> there you go. There you go. But See, smart guy, smart. Husband. Someone, someone who's not kind of in the weeds on something yeah. and you, you start telling them. And there have been several times where I've said, hey, you know, two minutes, here's the setup. And then I kind of do my deal. And she said, well, what about this? And I was like, oh, man, that's, that's right. And it, I mean, you know, that's, then that's the same kind of thing that a juror is going to do because they're not down in the weeds on it. They're hearing everything for the first time. And then they pick up on some silly something, or at least something you thought was silly. So yeah, I bounce it off people, get feedback, accept that feedback now not not all feedback's correct of course but yeah. be willing to really listen to the feedback and think about it yeah that's how it's, you do it it's, it's it's hard it's hard um what i what i tell attorneys if, if you, you know so you can't do a focus group or a mock trial in every case i think running it by your colleagues is important okay i think it's one thing you can do and, and get some get some objective feedback and yeah you can't you know, you can't get your panties in a wad if you get criticized. I mean, that's part of this. Um, number one. Number two, you, you whether it be your wife or your brother or sister, somebody you know, in your family or friend, you can do it that way. Okay. But you have to always weigh kind of, you know, who you're, you know, who, who you're talking to. I think the key is, is to, to get feedback on, on the way you're presenting uh, maybe uh, the angle of your story and get some unique uh, uh feedback uh on there uh i have so many i can't tell you how much free things i do for my friends and clients my clients that are friends uh i mean i'm giving yeah you know, this morning i'm getting can you send me vordeer questions i have a trial monday yeah i'm not billing for that i'm doing it because he's, he's one of my buddies i'm, I'm going to help him out or can you read my can you read my 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 opening and things like that but i'll tell you the story i, I tell you I, i'm gonna we're gonna end with this uh, and i have one more question for you and we'll wrap up here is I think one of the main areas that the plaintiff's bar is way ahead of the defense bar is they invest in a lot of training through people like me. They don't call me, trust me. They call other people, but they invest in experts and brain experts to become the best storytellers, to become the better storyteller. And plaintiff's attorneys are damn good storytellers and they get a lot of training in that. And that's something I really wish the defense bar would do more of. I do it with all my clients. I help them when they ask, but not many people ask. I think it's a big area where defense attorneys can become better and become better quickly. And so that's something to think about going in the future. And you know what I'm gonna do? And I'll offer it to you right now because I've already done a couple of other presentations. I'm gonna come to the Bassett firm and do that presentation for your attorneys and show you how to order order information for your opening closing statements and your closing arguments. And uh, we'll start it right there. Now, Bassett's going to have to buy me lunch. Well, that's okay. I will I will say Bassett will buy you lunch, and we'd okay. love to have you do that. And I, I think you're right on the, the storytelling. It's more than it's more than just verbally telling a story. You yeah. know, it's it's oh, yeah. it's your movement. If you've ever taken a uh, sounds sounds silly, but if you've ever taken like a, a college theater class, 
the movement of your body. Yeah. And this, this hit, I mean, I took theater and stuff as, you know, you have to take your basics and all that, but I was in a trial and, um, Mike, of course, running the show, uh, I remember specifically federal court and he stepped up in where the jury was across. It was like a witness box that was empty. And I remember he was kind of using all of his space. You know, he was moving from one side to the other, using his pauses. I mean, it was once you know kind of what to look yeah. for, you're like, oh, you know, this, he's doing really well. Yeah. And he stood up in the box uh, of yeah. the uh, the witness box and he threw his arms open wide. And I, I looked over at the jury and I remember watching them and every one of them were completely glued yep. in on what he was doing. And that, for some reason, has always stuck in my head. Yeah, that's what you want, you know. And so, yes, there's a, the storytelling, absolutely key, and knowing how to tell that story and, and practicing it, you know. Learn from listen, vicarious learning. Listen, there's so much. Now, I'm not saying I agree with all of it online. I think you have to be careful. But watching watching other really good communicators and learning from them, it's it's free. And you can just every I know everybody's in the billable hour and no one has any time and you've got 19 kids over at your house running around. Make some time, even if it's 15 minutes a day to go watch one of these experts speak. It'll blow you away, but then copy what they do. Right. Look at the, the body language stuff, the movement stuff, the tone of voice, the speed of their. I mean, I know all this stuff. I can help you with it. Uh, but it's so, so important and great. And I've always said I've always said this because it's true. The better storyteller will beat the better attorney every single time. Ten out of ten in front of a jury. Let me repeat that for the audience. The better storyteller will defeat the more talented attorney every single time in front of a jury. It's that important. It's that important. And so the more the defense counsel can put some energy into that, maybe even get some formal training. I think that would be excellent. Okay. Last question. I'm not sure when we're going to post this. Cause you know, we record these and then we post them out. You know, sometimes it takes a month, but it's perfect time of year. You know where I'm going with this. I'm locking you in. I do it with every single guest this time of year who and I just need, I need the matchup and then the winner. Who's going to the Super Bowl this year, 2023, and who's your winner? And boy, you're in Dallas. And if you go Cowboys, I think they're the dark. I, I say it every year, and I get embarrassed every year. I'm telling you right now, I think they could be a dark horse this year. I, I can't pick them because I'm going Buffalo. I, especially, and I picked Buffalo before the whole medical emergency. I am picking Buffalo to finally get just get the monkey off of their back. They're 0 for 4 in Super Bowls. It's a cold, miserable city. I'm saying the Buffalo Bills are, are, are going to, this is the feel good story. They're going to win. I think they should have won it last year. And it's just, it was really tough. That's where I'm going. Give me your Super Bowl matchup. Who's winning this thing, Aaron? Well, let me, let me, let me rephrase your question a little. Oh, so boy. here we go. The, the real question is only an attorney what, would do this. So you objected why? to my question on form. <laughs> You're objecting to the form of my question. This is fantastic. No, no, no I'm just going to come right back. So the question is, why are the Cowboys going to win and how much are they going to win by? Ooh, that's wow, that's wow. the real question. That's powerful. But Cowboys and Don't Chiefs, the Bills. <laughs> maybe Chiefs, you know, I mean, it, I, I just like, I just like Patrick Mahomes, but uh, man, I, I got to give you the backstory. Growing up, my dad was the king of all Cowboys fans. He wow. would record the games every Sunday on our VCR, which took some time. You didn't just hit record. You had to, you know, yeah. mess with the VCR. <laughs> I and remember he would yell at the games and yeah, then rewatch them later that afternoon and, they, and, and they keep yelling. Yeah. 
I so love it. it is, I love it. It's in my blood. I usually by December have to cry myself to sleep because the Cowboys end up losing. But every oh, year that was the worst. Every year they're the champs. Every year they're the champs, you know. So okay. So you're going so you think, wait, then Cowboys Chiefs. Yep. I think so. I'm going to the Cowboys. I'm pulling for the Cowboys. I see what I do is I jing it's this all reverse psychology. I purposely didn't see I picked the Cowboys last year. I got burnt on that. Thank you, 49ers, for ruining that one. This year, I purposely didn't pick the Cowboys so that the Cowboys would win. See? Well, here's the key. What you do is you kind of do like, um, what's the guy down in Houston, a mattress Mac? Yeah. You just <laughs> you, you make an outrageous bet every single year, and you lose every single year. But the one year that you're yeah. right, boom, you got it. You throw it out there, and you don't talk about all those other years. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Well, um, it should be an interesting playoffs. Aaron, thank you so much for being on the Litigation Psychology Podcast. I will certainly be seeing you soon and working with you guys soon. And to our audience, thank you so much for participating. We are on a roll. This podcast is on fire. And uh, tell your friends, tell your friends, tell your colleagues, tell your mom. Your mom would love this podcast. We will see you next time. Goodbye.